Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King. Lord, we're thankful that you have brought us once again to this place where we can sit and we can study your words, where we can fellowship with one another, where we can soak up your spirit, where we can talk about the wonderful works of Messiah Yeshua. Uh, thank you, Father, for allowing us this opportunity, for giving us um, a desire to study, for uh, continuing to um, cause your words to burn within our hearts so that we can learn of you and so that we can put on uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the garment of holiness, put, to put on the Messiah, uh, to, to use a phrase that Paul would be familiar with. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you have challenged us to be filled with the Spirit and to be filled with the words of Christ so that uh, we might hide your words in our heart. This causes us to uh, fall in love with you over and over again. It causes us to um, want to turn away from sin. Uh, it gives us um, uh, a sense of, of urgency about the matter because we know that uh, these days are evil. Uh, one only need to turn on the news or turn on the radio or pick up a newspaper and see that uh, the world is crumbling around us. Just the signs are everywhere. Uh, the, the, perhaps maybe we could even include the, the natural disasters and the fires burning in, in, in America and the, 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 the civil unrest and the, the, um, uh, just the, the general sense of, of, of dismay and confusing, uh, confusion, and uh, uh, Lord, uh, the political unrest, and uh, Lord, it, it's it's not too difficult to understand that this is a fallen world, and that the only hope is Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah. He is the only hope for humanity. Uh, there's no fix in politics. There's no fix in money. There's no uh, solution in riches or or fame or fortune or or uh lord it's it's not a, a um it's not going to be a uh what do we call it like a social move uh, a, a, uh none none of that's really going to um change things permanently uh lord only as we return to you as your people as we seek your face and confess our sins and repent and turn to you in your mercy and your grace you can restore us and to change us and to heal our nation so lord we do pray for healing uh, continue to raise us up as as truth bearers, as, as a city set on a hill, as uh, people who have been shown the light, 
as people who have been commissioned to carry the message uh, around the world. I pray that you'll give us an opportunity uh, to continue to share with those uh, whom we meet. Uh, This would include friends and family members, um, whether we're sharing the good news of the gospel of Yeshua or we are uh, just um, sharing Torah with other believers, Lord, we pray for divine opportunities and um, um, doorways to be opened that uh, they might hear and that we might have boldness to speak. And so we pray for those. Um, Bless us, Father, tonight as we turn to the book of Galatians and uh, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. Well, thank you once again, everyone who's joined me um, for these uh, weekly teachings into the book of Galatians. My name is Ariel Ben-Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher out at Congregation Kehilat Tnuva in Thornton, Colorado. You're invited to join us uh, on Saturdays uh, for our Shabbat service if you're in the Colorado area or in the Thornton area, which is north of Denver. Um, You can reach us on the web at www.graftedin.com. Head on out, that's the congregational website that I belong to. And you can get information about service times and, and classes and, and their Shabbat classes and things like that. I'd love to have you come out. Um, but for now, let's um, talk about the book of Galatians and uh, just remind everyone that these are weekly uh, meetings. We meet each week live via Skype. Um, you can join us 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, the teachings are free. There's no charge to you, the listener. Um, all you need to do is head on out to my personal website, my teaching site, tetzetorah.com. That's T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. And Torah stands for the Torah shall go forth, as in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. Um, and from my home site along the top, you can find a link that says Galatians Commentary. Click on that, and there should be a relevant information there for the um, the uh, live classes that we meet, as well as the written notes. Uh, we're following a written commentary that I put together a few years ago, and it's about 200 pages long if you're interested in printing it out. And we just go week by week and work our way down through the written notes and see what we can get. Um, also, for those of you who are able to make the live study, we meet for oh, just about 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes after the live teaching where we just chat. We, I, I turn off the recorder and we just chat with one another. We entertain questions or comments or other thoughts. So you're certainly welcome to join us and stay for that. But it is available exclusively to those of you who can make the live commentary, since I don't record those and upload them anywhere. And if you're not able to make the live commentary each week, but you happen to be listening to this audio recording, maybe someone gifted it to you or shot you a link or something like that, um, you are encouraged to find the audio recordings on my website, Tete Torah, or uh, head on out to iTunes Store. You can... You can install iTunes on either a Mac or a PC, uh, so you can have it on your on, on any platform there. And on iTunes, you can find my commentaries there, my Galatians commentary, as well as my other teachings. And you can find all of the uh, uh, recordings after after I've edited them and uploaded them to iTunes Store a few days after I make the live recording. Okay, great. Without further ado, let's date stamp the recording. We are on week seventy six of our recording, and I looked at the um, I looked at the calendar. And this is a kind of a neat little anniversary. 
almost two years to the day. It was around October, second week of October, two years ago, and uh, we started doing these this new Galatians commentary. So I've been going for about two years, and I'm not in a hurry, but I am in chapter five this week, so I think we're making progress, so Baruch Hashem. And let's date stamp it today. Today is October the 14th, 2017. And I'm coming to you live from South Korea. And uh, it's really nice to be able to uh, meet with people in other parts of the world via Skype. So, bless the Lord that he's allowed this medium to uh, connect us together, even if it is across the distance. All right, for those of you who are with me in the live class, I hope you can see my screen. I've got the text pull up from the book of Deuteronomy. Today's liturgy, or tonight's liturgy, is going to be a little special. Uh, for those of you who are um, familiar with Hebraic circles or Messianic circles, or you attend uh, a Messianic congregation or something, then you know that in our Torah reading, we cycle through the five books of Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, once a year for most of us on the annual cycle. Some of you follow a three-year cycle, but most people follow the yearly cycle. So um, for those of you who are on the yearly cycle, such as myself, then um, we are connected to greater Judaism. Most of world Jewry, uh, rabbinic Judaism to be sure, follows the, 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 um, the yearly cycle. And so this Sabbath day, this Shabbat, we have cycled around. We have just come through the festival, the, the, the eighth day of Sukkot, uh, the, the final days of Sukkot, which we call a Shemini Atzeret, the eighth day of assembly. That was earlier this week. And then for those of you who live uh, outside of the land, like most of us do, then there are two days to the festival celebrations, which means we've got Shemini Atzeret, which is the eighth day, and then we've got another, an extra day called um, Simchat Torah, which is rejoicing in the Torah, uh, and that becomes a second day of celebration for the end of the week of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. So these two festivals come back-to-back uh, -back next to one another, and during this time, we cycle through and finish the book of Deuteronomy, Parashat Vzot uh This is the blessing. This is the, the final Torah portion of the 54 portions that we read once a week in your average uh, Messianic synagogue or um, obviously your average Judaic uh, synagogue. So, um, for those synagogues, those congregations who are fortunate enough to have their own Torah scroll, like a couple that I know in in America, their congregation has a Torah scroll. And what has become tradition is to uh, take the Torah scroll, which should be parked at Deuteronomy near the end, because we just finished reading through that Torah portion. Which So that's where the Torah scroll is at the end of Sukkot and during uh, Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. What we do is we, we've got to roll the Torah scroll back to the book of Genesis because we want to start at the book of Genesis again with Parashat Bereshit for the Shabbat reading. What do we do? Well, we take the Torah scroll and as tradition, we carefully roll it back to the book of Deuteronomy. And that is, I'm sorry, back to the book of Genesis. And that has become a part of the Simchat Torah, Torah uh, service. And it's a very uh, um, 
a very rich tradition that's been preserved in Judaism down through the centuries. And so what I'm going to do is what we normally do in our congregation is we'll read the last few verses of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, and then we'll follow that up immediately with the after we've read the uh, after we turn the Torah scroll over, we'll follow up with the first few verses in the book of Genesis. And what we what this does is it creates a seamless transition between the end of the book of Deuteronomy and the beginning of the book of Genesis in order to facilitate what we call a a continuous cycle of reading through the first five books of Moses. And this gives us a a, a sense of connection that the, that the story doesn't end, but that it continually goes around. And cycles are good. Cycles produce cleansing. So let's uh, turn now to the final few verses of the book of Deuteronomy. And we'll scroll down. For those of you who are with me in live class, you can see this on your screen. I've got the 1917, 100-year-old Jewish Publication Society version of the uh, English pulled up for you on the right. And on the left, you can see some Hebrew. And I think I'll just pick the last... Um, this is the the recording of the death of Moses and his laying hands on Joshua and then this kind of this final little eulogy about Moses. And I don't want to read about the death of him. Uh, let's just pick the last three verses, 10, 11, and 12. This is Deuteronomy chapter, uh, uh, oh, what is this, chapter 34, and we'll just read verse 10, 11, and 12. And um, since this is the uh, a special... Uh, Torah reading tonight, then let me just recite the blessing. This isn't on your screen. This is just in my head. I'll just recite the blessing for the Torah, and I'll chant it this time since this is special liturgy, okay? Baruch atah Adonai Elohinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bachar Banu Mekol HaAmin V'natan Lanu Et Torah To Baruch atah Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and commanded us to uh, uh, study the Torah. All right, that's not exactly what I said in the Hebrew, but that's close enough. Um, that's basically the blessing for reading the Torah, which I just pulled out of memory. So let's um, let's turn now to this first few, uh, the last three verses in the book of Deuteronomy, and then I'll jump right over into the first few verses out of the book of Genesis for us, okay? Um, the English reads, starting in verse 10, And there hath not arisen a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Verse 11, In all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. Verse 12, And in all the mighty hand and in all the great terror which Moses wrought in the sight of Israel. Let's go back and read the Hebrew as well. Verse 10 reads, Volo kam navi od be Yisrael, kumoshe, asher yadao, Adonai panim el panim. Verse 11, Lachol ha otot, vaha muftim, asher shlachol Adonai, la asot, be eretz mitzraim, le faro, ulchol avodaiv, ulchol artso. Verse 12, Ulchol hayad, Ha Chazaka Ulchol Hamora Hagodol Asher Asa Moshe Leine Kol Yisrael. And now let's turn to the book of Genesis and let's pick up just the first few verses there. Genesis chapter 1. 
This is very familiar territory for most of you. Let's just read the first five verses of Genesis, starting in verse 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2. Now the earth was unformed and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. Verse 3. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Verse 4. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And verse 5. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. In the Hebrew we read, verse 1, Bereshit bara Elohim et ha-shemayim ve-et ha-aretz. Verse 2, V'ha-aretz hayata tohu v'vohu v'choshek al pnei tohom v'ruach Elohim merachefet al pnei ha-mayim. Verse 3, V'yomer Elohim yehi ur v'yehi ur. Verse 4, V'yera Elohim et ha-ur v'yehi and verse 5, Alright, and we'll stop right there with the uh, blessing and the reading out of the Tanakh. Let's turn now in our liturgy to the book of Galatians itself. Um, we're going to be looking at chapter 5. We've made it through four chapters. Woo-hoo, we're, that's, that's progress for me, right? Took me two years to get to chapter 5, and we still have another chapter to go. So I'm not in a hurry if you're not in a hurry, so I, go, I hope you guys are okay with that. Uh, let's look at our liturgy. Chapter 5, let's read verse 1 through verse... Mm, let's just go through verse uh, 6 tonight. Um, English this time is out of the uh, English Standard Version. And for those of you who are in the uh, live study, you can see I've got... Um, I've got the... Sorry about that. I've got the uh, uh, English Standard Version on the left this time. Swapped them, right? That's the English. And on the right t- side, I've got the, uh, the SBL version of the Greek, which is the... Um, Society of Biblical Literature, um, Greek version. And I think what we'll do, actually, there was a segue between last chapter and this chapter. So I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 31, and then chapter 5, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And then we'll do the same with the Greek, okay? All right, chapter 4, verse 31 says, So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Verse 5, for through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And then verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. 
All right, let's go back and read the Greek of that. Again, we'll start in verse 31. And the reason I did that is twofold. One, because there's a an instant connection, what we call a segue between the last verse of, of the last chapter and the first verse of chapter 5. And this can be seen in the Greek because we're going to see here in a moment. And the other reason I do it is because, um, because of the structure of the original Greek manuscript, many commentators feel that Paul probably didn't make the chapter break between 4 and 5 at verse 1 the way we do in our English versions. Rather, the structure of the original Greek seems to imply that actually verse 31 of chapter 5 should have been maybe the beginning of where our chapter break is. Either way, Paul connects these two together strongly, so I'm going to put them back together in the Greek that way as well. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 31 in the Greek words, Dia Adelphoi uk esmen paidiskes tekna alates lutheros. And then verse 1 of chapter 5, Te lutheria. Hemas Christos Eleutherosen, stekete un kai me palen zugo duleas en ekeste. Verse 2. Ide ego palas lego human hati ien pertemneste Christos humas uden ophalese. Verse 3. Marturo mai de palen pante antropo pertemnemeno hati uh, Ophaletes estin halentan naman poesai. Verse 4. Katergethete apo Christu hoitenes en namo deca uste tes caritas exepesate. Verse 5. Hemes garer penumati ek pistios elpida deca usunes apec decametha. And the final pasuk, verse 6. En garer Christo Jesu ute perotome. Ti escueute acrobustia, ala pistis di agapes in ergumene. All right, that'll be our liturgy for tonight, and I hope you're enjoying the liturgy. I'm enjoying it myself. I've always wanted to have um, Bible teachers read more Hebrew and Greek when I listen to their commentaries. And so I took it upon myself that when I was able to at least navigate somewhat through the Hebrew and the Greek, um, I decided that I would make that opportunity available for people who listen to my commentaries. So I've taken upon myself to go ahead and read the Hebrew and the Greek as best as I can approximate them. I taught myself the Greek as I've listened to other teachers, uh, but as far as the Hebrew is concerned, I was taught personally by a native Israeli. So I think I've got uh, my Hebrew uh, pronunciation fairly close. All right, let's turn to my commentary tonight. For those of you who are with me in the uh, live commentary, the live study, You'll see that I've got on my screen chapter 5 pulled up out of my notes, and we're starting on the top of page 148. And remember, this commentary is a um, little shy of 200 pages, so you can see that we're almost nearing the end of the commentary. Perhaps maybe it'll only take us uh, less than a year to finish the rest of the commentary. We'll see what I can do. Let me go ahead and read through the notes. Uh, most of what I wrote for chapter 5 is self-explanatory. I try to be as thorough as possible. As you already know, we're not hitting every single verse in this study to the book of Galatians. So um, we're only being selective, which is similar to what David Stern did, messing in a Jewish commentary to his uh, Jewish New Testament commentary to the complete Jewish Bible. He doesn't hit every verse either. He just goes kind of selectively, verses by verse, the ones that he feels are most relevant for his readers. And I've done the same thing. You have to remember from uh, just, this is kind of an introduction to understanding my commentary, background, just real quick. The best way to understand my commentary is to understand that I've got a target audience of 
two groups. I've got one group on one side of, of, of my understanding here, one group on one hand, that is the traditional Christians who approach the book of Galatians with the assumption that Paul is preaching the death knell to Judaism and a Torah-based lifestyle. And as such, their traditional understanding is that um, the Galatians, the book of Galatians is the best way to understand Paul's teaching on the end of the law. The law's been brought to an end, and we are to live our life as law-free believers. In other words, we no longer have to concern ourselves with Sabbath, keeping kosher. Anyway, the the other audience that I'm writing to is uh, the Messianic uh, community, those of you who are still embracing a Hebraic lifestyle. So it's the best to understand my commentary is including both of those groups. Okay, let's turn to the commentary. Let's look at uh, Galatians chapter 5, and I'll just read the notes. And I'll stick fairly close to the notes, and that way I won't have to take as long. I think it's self-explanatory. All right. In Galatians chapter 5, recall that we are um, picking up again Paul's impassioned um, plea or urgent uh, warning to the Gentile Galatians that they are standing on a road of decision. And they are entertaining, if you recall from the, following along with my commentary from weeks ago, the Galatian Gentiles are entertaining the decision to undergo a conversion, a full formal conversion to the uh, form of Judaism that the Judaizers or the influencers represent of that day. Whatever um, first century counterpart of Judaism that has uh, crept up around them or uh, caught their attention. The Gentile Galatians are being told that if they wish to be full-fledged covenant members within Israel, then they have to go uh, through a ritual that is man-made and change their ethnicity from Gentile to Jewish. And only then will God recognize them as covenant members within the people group known as Israel. And under this new identity of Judaism, of, of being Jewish, then they can be counted as righteous. Then they can inherit the um, the uh, heritage of the people of Israel, namely the Torah, then and only then can they look forward to a place in the world to come after they die. Then and only then can they enjoy the privileges and the, the, the protection of the synagogue of the first century. And so this is basically what we might call the, um, the, the gospel that's being preached to them. Paul is going to, of course, interrupt that decision. He's going to tell them, no, you guys are misunderstanding it. And so let's pick up my commentary reading, and I think this will become more apparent. Chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Here's what I have to say in my comments. There's a very nice segue from the last verse of chapter 4 and the first verse of chapter 5 in the Greek, which can be easily seen in the English. Uh, we don't really need to jump into the Greek to see this, but if I pull up, say, the NIV of the Greek from 4.31 to 5.1, here's what we end up with. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Notice the word free there in verse 31. And then look at 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, end quote. So, what I say in my commentary is that it can be easily seen and understood by the words underlined in my written notes. The, the word free and the word freedom share the same group, Greek uh, word, the same root word, uh, eleutheria. And this, of course, is no mystery. This is not some great secret that I've discovered that no one else knows about. But I thought it was kind of interesting that we should see this 
um, because Paul is really wanting us to know that this letter is all uh, is to be read together as a, as one continuous whole. Don't stop and break up the chapters and and forget about where he's come from. No, remember the the um, logic that he's been carefully building up to. And in fact, there's a kind of a crescendo in in chapter five. Uh, where Paul just comes right out and, and, and with both guns blazing again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Slavery is not the ideal of God. So, let's keep reading my commentary. The obvious sense is that Shaul is continuing his thoughts from the last chapter as he sets up an intense warning against letting oneself be influenced by a pseudo-gospel that promises covenant membership and right standing with God in Israel, which of course is the message of the influencers, but in reality will not deliver on the goods. Understand what I mean? I say in my commentary on the surface, all might appear to be what we say hunky-dory, but in point of fact, a conversion to Judaism, or legal Jewish status for those already born Jewish, will do nothing to change the volition of an individual outside of also allowing the Ruach Kodesh to write the Torah on the heart. Don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say here. Jewish identity, in my opinion, is a good thing to have. And this is why I went through the lengthy discussion that I did the last two weeks about um, understanding some of the central concepts of the Bible from a natural perspective, as well as understanding some of the central concepts of the Bible from a spiritual perspective. And on that list that I had last week, if you recall, the uh, word Jewish identity was on the list. In other words, there's nothing wrong with being a natural Jew, with being born into the heritage of the people group known as Israel, where you have inherited this from birth. In other words, your parents are Jewish. There's nothing wrong with that. Paul himself was a natural-born Jew. But what Paul wants us to understand is if we were to read, say, Romans 2, the last few verses of that chapter, 2, 28, 29, 30, somewhere around there, Paul talks about how that God's ideal is that the natural Jew would graduate and also take on the identity of spiritual Jewishness. He is not a Jew who is one uh, outwardly, but he is a Jew primarily who is one inwardly, and his praise comes not from men, but from God, as I'm paraphrasing that those last few verses of Romans, of Romans chapter 2. Paul wants us to understand that natural Jewish identity is good, but spiritual Jewish identity, along with natural Jewish identity, that's even better. So think along the lines of good versus better, not bad versus good, like so many traditional commentaries approach Paul's letters with. It's not bad versus good. It's not Jewishness is bad and Christian identity is good. That's not what Paul's working at at all. It's not that Judaism is bad and Christianity is good. It's not that the Torah is bad and that the New Testament is good. It's not that Old Testament is bad and New Testament is good. It's not Israel's bad and the church is good. All of that is a, a, a wrong-headed notion when we approach some of these concepts. So Jewish identity is a good thing to have. I say my commentary, but uh, we shouldn't misunderstand what Paul's trying to teach us here. What is more, I'm not stating that conversion to Judaism is the quote-unquote unpardonable sin either. That's not what I mean either. Some commentators will tell you that Paul is trying to tell them that if you guys convert to Judaism, you've lost your salvation. You Gentiles who are already Christians, if you convert to Judaism, then you're, you're, you're committing the unpardonable sin. You're forfeiting your salvation. I don't think that's what Paul's teaching here either. 
we have to put it back in context, and let's see if we can do that. Rather, I say in my notes here, all too often our outward actions as humans, both Jews and Gentiles, our outward actions reveal our true inner motives. And when it comes to the object of saving faith, this is very careful wording here, so listen up. The object of saving faith, we must place our focus exclusively on Yeshua, which is God's means of making a person forensically righteous, if we ever hope to be truly saved. Understand what I mean? Now, Let's keep reading my notes, and I think this will just be self-explanatory, so I'll, I'll resist the urge to elaborate, okay? The Galatian Gentiles, I believe, were at the crossroads of decision. Would they invest their faith in Jewish ethnicity, like the influencers were telling them? Or would they invest their faith in Jesus Christ, like Paul was teaching them? Jesus was the one who died and rose again. It wasn't Jewish ethnicity that suffered on the cross for them. It was the Son of God incarnate. It was Jesus, the Messiah, who was in fact a Jew. To be in Messiah, I say in my notes, to be in Messiah is to be truly free. We're talking about spiritual freedom here. Recall Yeshua's declaration in John 8, 36, where he says, quote, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. End quote. That's lifted from the KJV. How is it then that these Galatian Gentiles wish to, return, wish to return to the spiritual slavery that marked their former manner of life? We talked about this in the last few weeks as well. Spiritual slavery comes carries along with it the baggage of um, cultural slavery. It typically carries along with it the, uh, the, 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 the heritage, the slavery of whatever um, culture that you were raised in. So in Paul's day, the Gentiles would have not only been in spiritual bondage before becoming saved, but they also would have been um, naturally associated with the pagan, uh, the Roman paganism that was um, uh, uh, permeate that permeated their lifestyle of that day. Right, um, all of the Saturnalia, all of the um, uh, the, the emperor worship all of the pagan libations that had to be poured out, the all of the prayers that were said to the emperor, uh, all of the, the superstitions, all of the stoicheon, all of the magic, all of the um, the, the astrology, uh, all of that was was um, was part and parcel with the the old man that a Gentile, your average uh, you know, Greco Roman citizen would have experienced until he came to faith in Messiah and his eyes opened by the Ruch Kodesh. At that moment, once the Spirit opened your eyes, then a new life began, a life in the Spirit, a life of being led into God's way, so away from the world and into a new lifestyle that was outlined by God's words. And here's the kicker. Here's the part we have to remind ourselves as 21st century Christians. The Bible that Paul had in his days was the Tanakh. There was no New Testament yet. It's it's something that James Trim is fond of uh, jokingly quipping. You guys are familiar with James Trim, the Bible teacher. James Trim is fond of saying there are two things that the New Testament church didn't have. There are two things that were not present in the New Testament church. One was a New Testament, and the other was a church, right? There was no New Testament in the New Testament church, and there was no church in the New Testament church. In fact, the only Bible they had was the Tanakh, what Christians today call the Old Testament, and the only assembly that they had was the synagogue. There was no First Baptist Church on the corner. There was no Catholic cathedral that they could flock to for the first few hundred years. It was the synagogue's 
of the first century and the meetings that they were coming together with in, in, in their homes. So those are the only two things that they had. And the Bible that they had that instructed them was the Tanakh. So I say in my commentary, the freedom that Yeshua speaks of is a spiritual freedom that is a forensic freedom. It's freedom in God's eyes. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. It's, it's, it's a change from the inside out primarily, but it works its way to the outside. So how is it then that these Galatian Gentiles wish to return to spiritual slavery? And it's a slavery that marked their former manner of life with, with their paganism and their, their superstition and their astrology and their stoicane, all that other nonsense. Why would they turn back to that? And in fact, if they're going to deny Yeshua's atoning work and they're going to inf- instead um, place their faith in their ethnicity, then they're going to demonstrate that they have not truly been saved and changed from the inside out. And as such, their change of ethnicity will just mark a change in identity on the outside, but will speak nothing of the old man, new man change that needs to take place on the inside. Can't they see, I say in my notes, that anything less than a complete commitment to the true gospel is not good news at all and will eventually result in slavery again? Again, we're talking primarily about spiritual slavery. I keep going, I I continue to say, as is to be expected as we read through this part of the book of Galatians, historic Christianity interprets the slavery of these verses, particularly of verse 1, as a return to what? Judaism. A return to living in the confines of Torah observance. A return to Sabbaths, keeping kosher, keeping the feasts. And, of course, a return to circumcision, right? So, uh, I shouldn't really need to bring Christian commentaries into this study for you to see that this is true, but since I cannot resist, I'll include just one from David Guzik. I believe his name is pronounced Guzik. Might be Guzik. So we're at the top of page 149. This is going to be basically a traditional viewpoint on the book of Galatians. Listen up if you're listening to my commentary and you're from a traditional Christian background and you've never um, considered that there's a different way to read to the book of Galatians. I want to give you what is probably being taught in your average Christian church, and I'm doing this not for the sake of slamming the traditional Christian view. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. What I'm trying to do is offer what I believe to be an alternative and, in fact, a better understanding of the book of Galatians from a more historical, sociological, and Hebraic perspective, the likes of which I think Paul, in fact, carried. And and the only way I can do that effectively is to draw a contrast between what I believe Paul's really saying and what your traditional, um, now historic Christian perspective is, has come to believe what Paul is saying. And uh, so just listen up for a moment. Let's quote your, a traditional Christian perspective on this passage. Um, in the middle of my commentary, I have this to say. Quote, this is David, uh, uh, David Guzik. Quote, Yoke of bondage. He's, he's of course, making his commentary to verse 1. This phrase reminds us of what Peter said in Acts 15.10 about those who would bring the Gentiles under the law. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? The Jews themselves, that, of course, was a quote from uh, Acts 15. Uh, Guzik goes on to say, The Jews themselves were not able to justify themselves before God by the law, so they shouldn't put that heavy burden, burdensome yoke on the Gentiles. Uh, he goes on to say, Certain Jewish teachers of that day spoke of the law of Moses as a yoke, but they used the term in a favorable light. Paul saw 
a legal relationship as a yoke, but as a yoke of bondage. It is related to slavery, not liberty. This yoke of bondage does nothing but entangle us. We try hard to pull God's plow, but the yoke of bondage leaves us tangled, restricted, and frustrated. And because it goes on to say, finally, it certainly was bondage. Uh, he's quoting Morris now. Jewish teachers counted up 613 commandments to keep the law of Moses. Quote, even to remember them all was a burden, and to keep them bordered on the impossible. Small wonder that Paul referred to subjecting oneself to them as entering in, into slavery, end quote. All right, and that entire uh, lift from David Guzik, if you look at my footnote number 145, is from uh, David Guzik's commentary in Galatians, which is available at Enduring Word Media uh, at his website, EnduringWord.com. Okay. I have a lot of respect for Dr. David Guzik. He has done something that I've never done and probably won't even have the opportunity to do. He has written a commentary on the entire Bible. That's right. If you head on out to his website, you can find a commentary on just about every verse. I think every verse of the entire Bible, all 66 books, Genesis through to, to Revelation. And that's a, that's, I, I commend him for that. And he's very thorough. Um, he's also got audio notes that accompany his written notes, so I have a lot of respect for him. But he approaches the text here with the traditional Christian viewpoint that Paul is trying to uproot Judaism and Torah observance as a whole because he sees that as an old lifestyle, as a return to bondage. In other words, to return to, to a Jewish lifestyle or to a Hebraic lifestyle for a Christian is to return to a lifestyle of bondage. And, of course, I disagree with that. Um, I go on to say in my commentary... The standard Christian interpretation of this verse does not fit with Paul's view of Torah. And most importantly, it does not follow from the scripture view of Torah. I go on to say that the Torah is not bondage. And I think this is so important for us to understand as we read through the book of Galatians. Paul did not view the Torah itself as bondage. It does not follow from the scriptural view of Torah as well. The Torah is not bondage. The commandments are not burdensome. That's the wrong way to think of the Bible that Paul had in his day. The Bible is not bondage. God's words are not burdensome. Or else, if that's the case, then 1 John 5, 2 and 3 would not make sense. Let's quote that passage. We all know this. Those of you in the Messianic movement are familiar with this passage because we use it in our answer to Christians who explain to us that the law is bondage. This is usually one of the first passages that we pull up in our defense. What does it say? Quote, this is the ESV again, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and, and here's the, the part that's the, the part that we highlight, and his commandments are not burdensome, end quote. So you can see there that John thought that God's commandments were not burdensome. And remember, just like I said, the Bible that John was reading from was the Tanakh, what Christians call the Old Testament. So therefore, when Paul, I'm sorry, when John says God's commandments, he must have in mind at least the commandments that we've read about through the five books of Moshe, Genesis to Deuteronomy. This means John didn't think the, that the law was a burden. If Paul and John were reading the same Bible, then Paul also could not have thought that the commandments were burdensome. Therefore, <clears throat> why should we as Christians of the 21st century also think that the 
The commandments of God are burdensome, that the Torah is a burden to keep. We shouldn't. So that's my first challenge to my traditional Christian uh, friends and family who are reading through the book of Galatians. Just just try to imagine for a moment that Paul didn't think that the, that the commandments of God were burdensome. I go on to say, Moreover, with eyes opened by the Spirit of God, like Melch David had, right, like King David, to walk in Torah by faith in Messiah is to walk in liberty. Did you catch that? That is the important ingredient that Paul is trying to get the Galatian Gentiles to understand as well. Take careful notice of these verses from Psalm 119, 40, verse 45 and verse 40. Verse 44 and verse 45. Listen to this. These, ver- these verses are usually a shocker to your average uh, exegete or seminarian who hasn't considered that actually David was a Messianic Jew. Listen to this. Quote, this is David speaking. So I will keep your law continually forever and ever. That's verse 44. And then look at verse 45. And I will walk at liberty. For I seek your precepts, end quote. That's, that's the New American Standard Version. Notice that King David, who was a Messianic Jew, right? He believed in Jesus, although he looked forward to the coming of his ancestor Messiah, rather than the way we look backwards to the finished work of the cross. He looked forward to the finished work of the cross. But look at David. Notice that David lived, obviously, in a time period where there was no, quote, unquote, New Testament. There was no book of Matthew through the book of uh, Revelation. None of that existed. All David had was what we call the Old Testament, i.e. the Tanakh. So what did David say about the Tanakh? He said, I will keep your law, and the, and the Hebrew word there, if I were to go look it up in the book of Psalm, is actually the word Torah. I will keep your Torah continually forever and ever. Doesn't sound like David envisioned a day when the law came to an end, right? David didn't think that the law would come to an end when his, when his son, when his offspring uh, Messiah came. David, in fact, said that I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And then what else did David say? Within the same context of keeping the Torah forever and ever, David adds, and I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. And this is what we call poetic parallelism. In other words, the, the, the noun for law there in the, in the Hebrew, the Torah, is also equated with the word precepts, which is probably, if I were to go back and look it up in the Hebrew, it's probably either mishpatim or hukim or or some, one, of the, one of the other synonyms for Torah. So David is basically saying that the, to walk in the law is to walk at liberty. But here's the, here's the point, though. Why could David say this? It's not because David understood that the law was the path to freedom. Rather, David understood that the, his trust in the one that God would send to forgive him of his sin, to cleanse him, to, to, to make a heart change, namely the, the Messiah who would come one day. Because David's, the object of David's faith was in the Messiah, then David could, David had a circumcised heart, the same one that we have today. And therefore, the, uh, the Spirit of God could write the words of God on the heart of David, the same way that is described in Ezekiel chapter 36 and Jeremiah chapter 31, the same new covenant feature that we enjoy today as believers. Therefore, David could rejoice in the words of Torah and in keeping the Torah because it was genuine liberty to be set free from one's sin. It was genuine liberty to, to have one's sins not just covered, not just um, paid for at a, at a ceremonial level, but paid for on an eternal level, a forensic level. 
to not to enjoy genuine relationship with God at a spiritual level because David saw the Messiah. He looked forward by faith with eyes opened by the Spirit and he saw the Messiah the same way that we look backwards in faith and see the Messiah today. You guys understand? So that's a good place to say amen. All right, let's continue in my commentary. However, however, Paul recognized that there's this danger. The very real danger that he's writing about in the book of Galatians was not the danger of turning to Torah per se. It was a danger of placing one's faith in the wrong object. Let's read about this. If one bypasses, I say in my commentary, if one bypasses Yeshua and places their trust in ethnicity and or Torah observance, which is basically maintenance of the covenant membership that they gained by becoming a Jew, right? So the works of the law all over again. If one places their trust in this particular object, then that person is truly a slave to their old nature, whether they know it or not. It doesn't matter how Jewish you are, how many pedigrees you hold in your family line, how much Torah you claim to be able to uphold, how righteous you think you are. All of that matters not. Unless a heart change has taken place, then you are still a slave to your old nature. What did Yeshua say? If the Son sets you free, then you're free indeed. Well, then that means the converse is true. If the Son has not set you free then you're still a slave. Bondage, I go on to say, according to the biblical model, this is so important, people. I want my my traditional Christian readers to really listen up, perk up here. This is a good place to slow down the commentary, stop the audio a few times, rewind it a few times, and listen to what I have to say. The biblical model that Paul is aware of and that we need to be aware of today, the biblical model is for bondage, when we're describing the biblical bondage, rejection of genuine faith in Yeshua. That's the biblical model of bondage. And that results in a status of spiritual slavery, quote-unquote. That's the biblical model of bondage. Spiritual slavery is when we have rejected Yeshua or we have um, not yet embraced him, whether you're in decision mode and you haven't embraced him or you have heard about him and you've decided that he's not the one for you. Either way, until Yeshua comes into your life and the Spirit has taken up residence within you, you are still within spiritual slavery. And this is the bondage that Paul's talking about. The battle lines, as I'm on the top of page 150, the battle lines were not being drawn between the relevance of Torah for believers versus the relevance of Yeshua for believers. I think that's a uh, an incorrect way to understand uh, Paul's book here, and particularly these few verses. I go on to say, I think that Paul is not asking Christians to avoid Torah observance so that Yeshua can be at the center of their devotion. I don't think that's the best way to understand Galatians. I've heard this message over and over again from your traditional pulpits and in, in standard um, churches. That Paul is teaching the, the readers, particularly the Gentile ones in focus, to Turn away from Torah because it's going to distract you from Yeshua. Turn away from Judaism because it's going to cloud the issue of your freedom in Jesus. You need to to eject and reject uh, to to uh, uh, to replace uh, that old lifestyle of Judaism and 
uh, uh, or to use, I can't resist. So you, you got to forgive me. We need to replace, we need to repeal and replace, right? We need to repeal Judaism and replace it with, with Christianity, basically. Uh, some of you out there listening are probably laughing at this point in time with my, my terms repeal and replace, right? Um, but basically that's the way that your traditional Christian commentary spins this, these few verses is that Paul's telling the Christians, the Jewish, the, uh, the, the Gentile Christians that they need to basically turn away from Judaism and Torah and to embrace Christianity and the law of Christ. But I go on to say in my commentary, he's not asking Christians to void Torah observance so that Yeshua can be at the center of their devotion. This type of approach to the book of Galatians represents essentially a more modern Christian church ambivalent attitude towards the law of God vis-a-vis those, or uh, in respect to those who are already Christians as it applies to them. I go on to say, by historic comparison, if we were to go back and and really dig deep into the book of Galatians from a, uh, a historical, grammatical, sociological perspective, I think we're going to find that the influencers, right, the Judaizers, the agitators, the, 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 the villains of the piece, they were likely accepting of Gentile proselytes proclaiming Yeshua as the Messiah of Israel, right? They didn't really have a problem with Jesus per se. They were much like those believing Pharisees of Acts 15.5, I say in my commentary. So they didn't really have a problem with, with, with Gentiles uh, accepting Jesus, I, I going to say, provided, right? Listen to this, listen up very carefully, provided the definition of Israel was, quote, Jewish only Israel, end quote. That's essentially the, the, the main central uh, focal point of the Judaizers' gospel, is that Israel was a Jewish-only Israel. I go on to say, the influencers do not seem to have a problem with Gentiles as Christians. Rather, they seem to have a problem with Gentiles as Gentiles. Did you guys catch that? They have a problem with Gentiles in their own ethnicity. So, I believe that <clears throat> the lines were being drawn between the necessity of Jewish identity for covenant inclusion versus the necessity of falling on the mercy and grace of Messiah for genuine covenant membership and forgiveness of sins. That's where I think the contest is in Paul's mind, not between um, um, keeping Torah and not keeping Torah. I go on to say in my commentary, the yoke of slavery that one would return to is not a yoke of slavery to commandment keeping. Why would Paul... Uh, define commandment keeping as slavery, especially since the commandments were the only um, God-inspired corpus of literature that was available for both Jew and Gentile alike in that day, right? You have to remind yourself when you're reading through the New Testament that there was no New Testament, just like I said earlier. There was not a body of literature yet that they could turn to for daily living, for daily instruction. Their blueprint for living both Jew and Gentile, was already outlined in the pages of the Torah and the subsequent prophets and the writings, right? The Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim. In other words, the Bible of Jesus and the Bible of Paul was the Bible of the Jews today. That's not to say that the New Testament that was being written by Paul and the later apostles, that's not to say that that wouldn't later be accepted as scripture, received into the canon, and that's certainly not to suggest that we don't need the New Testament today. Far from it. All scriptures God breathed, Paul is going to go on to tell us in in 2 Timothy. All scripture now includes both the Tanakh and what we call the New Testament or the Apostolic Scriptures, the latter Ketuvim, whatever you want to call it, the Brit Chadashah. So today's Christian must avail himself both of the Tanakh 
and of the apostolic scriptures. In other words, the whole, the Bible as a whole from Genesis to Revelation. But we have to remind ourselves that in Paul's day, it would be folly for Paul to explain to the Gentiles, hey, you guys don't need the Tanakh anymore. You don't need it. You don't need what the Jews are carrying around as their Bible. Just follow the Spirit. Be led of the Spirit. What, what, what sort of halakha could they form in their communities, in their communities? And what, what kind of standard of righteousness and standard of sin could both Jew and Gentile of Paul's day hope to, um, understand if there was no written word of God to anchor them within the standards that God had already outlined for the people of God? You understand? So let's keep reading my commentary. Um, so I say the yoke of slavery that one would return to is not a yoke of slavery to commandment keeping. Rather, the yoke of slavery one would return to is a life outside of the freedom of Messiah's atoning righteousness. So Paul's really mainly uh, kind of directing his words in the first few verses to those who are still in decision mode, those who have not yet made a, a, a lasting, a genuine, a lasting claim to Messiah as their as their uh, savior. They're still not claiming Jesus as Lord. They're still considering that perhaps Judaism is the pathway to salvation, and in their heart they've not yet um, made a commitment, right? So these are the people that are in the most danger, and these are the people that Paul is going to direct his strongest words to. Um, when the passage is put back into the socio-religious context of the first century, then we find that Paul doesn't need to denigrate the Torah in order to elevate the work of Christ. And I hear this so often in Christian um, commentaries and in Christian sermons today, and it's really a shame when I hear uh, pastors preach that Paul had to tear down Judaism and Torah in order to lift up the cross and Messiah and Christianity. And that's Wow, I'm just so I'm so shocked when I hear those words, and I'm 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 grieved when I hear uh, modern uh, Christian commentaries and 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 pastors and and believers speak that way about about dismantling Judaism and tearing down uh, Torah and, and things like that. It's just it makes me cringe. Um, so uh, let's keep reading my commentary. Um, the important issues in Galatians that we need to focus on in our study were the social questions surrounding membership in the people of God, and as we shall see in the next verse, circumcision, not Torah, circumcision was the fulcrum by which membership into first century Israel was being weighed. Understand what I mean there? So um, let me just read this next few uh, paragraphs. And I'm only going to take about five or ten minutes to read it. I'm not going to elaborate very heavily on it because I think it's self-explanatory. Here, I think, is a good way to understand what was one of the primary issues in not only the first century, but particularly in the community that Paul was writing to in the book of Galatians. All right. It's not that the Gentile Christians were seeking to return to a lifestyle of Torah as Christians. In other words, to add Torah to Jesus. Rather, in their minds, in the Gentile Christians' minds, those who were calling themselves Christians, they thought that they were lacking something when it came to getting into the people group known as Israel. And in order to get into Israel, they had to take one final step. So let's read about that. This, in my opinion, is one of the keys to unlocking the book of Galatians from a historical and sociological perspective. And it goes a long way towards giving a, a, a better reading of Galatians so that we can walk away with an interpretation that doesn't tear down Torah, doesn't tear down Judaism, 
and it actually gives us um, um, a, a, a desire to seek to understand God's scriptures more accurately. Look at this. Roman, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And I'm going to close my commentary with this verse. Comments. This verse sounds strikingly similar to what Shaul already stated in, in uh, uh, Galatians 2.21, which reads, quote, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose, end quote. That's out of the ESV. In 2.21, the, the contest in the mind of the Galatians used the verbiage of Christ versus the law. But here in 5.2, the contest uses the verbiage of Christ versus circumcision. So you see that? So by this point in our study, I say, it should be amply clear that Paul did not mean Torah observance when he used the word law in 2.21. By the same token, using the same hermeneutic principle, it should be amply clear that he does not simply mean the physical cutting away of the flesh of the male sex organ when he uses the word circumcision in 5.2. In fact, I think in both passages that Paul states that if the Galatians wish to continue down the road constructed by the influencers, the road described by the first century Judaisms as, quote, the law, end quote, quote, under the law, end quote, quote, works of the law, end quote, and, quote, circumcision, end quote. All of those phrases are kind of synonymous in the first century. This is the gospel of the influencers. If the Galatians go down that road and reject the free offer of genuine and lasting covenant membership into Israel as offered by God and outlined in the Tanakh, then, and this is using the language of our verse here in 5.2, the work done by Yeshua on the cross will indeed have no value for them at all, or, if I borrow the language of Galatians 2.21 like I mentioned earlier, then Yeshua's death will have been pointless. Understand what I mean there? So, Paul is trying to get them to understand that their object of faith as Galatians, as Gentiles, the object of faith needs to be centered on Yeshua and not on their change of status in order to get into Israel. All right, let's, um, let's keep reading. Um, I go down to say in my commentary, <clears throat> Paul's desperate personal plea is demonstrated in the phrase, quote, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you, right? He's very pointed. He's very dramatic. Is very emphatic in what he's saying there out of the NIV. Our apostle to the Gentiles, oops, sorry about that. Our apostle to the Gentiles is actually pouring out his heart in an effort, I believe, to yank them back from the dangerous precipice that they're standing near. The stakes of the game are quite high indeed, right? Let's, let's not minimize that. There, there, this is not just, uh, uh, Paul, um, saying, you know, you guys, if you, if you gravitate towards Judaism, you're gonna kinda, uh, diminish the work of Messiah, and it, it'll really be it really be unfortunate if you guys went down that road. So I, I hope you guys don't do that. That's not what Paul's saying. The tone of his letter is actually very, very um, drastic, very stark. You guys are are about to make a, an, an extremely dangerous decision, a decision that could possibly um, turn you in the direction of walking away from the grace of God. And we're going to see he's going to actually use that phrase, fallen from grace, uh, a little later on as we study uh, this this chapter. Our apostle is actually um, trying to get them to understand that the Galatian Gentiles are in decision mode, and Paul would have them make the right decision. We're on the top of page 151. He would have them make the right decision based on the fact of 
Yeshua's historical importance and on the trustable testimony of Scripture. The trustable testimony of Scripture. That's a very important point there. But is Paul suggesting that mere circumcision alone could ruin all that Christ accomplished by his death and resurrection? Is it that simple act of being circumcision? How can a single simple, single act of the flesh, I say, ostensibly, or supposedly, undo the mighty work of Yeshua's ministry on the cross? You ever thought about that? How is it that Paul's so, so worried about the simple act of circumcision? I mean, if that's the case, then I guess all male Jews of today are damned, right? They're, they're eternally cut off from Christ because they've been circumcised on the eighth day. Is that what Paul means when he says, um, if you accept circumcision, but you've been severed from Christ? Let's, let's, let's look at this real quick. This, this is going to kind of be simple to understand, in my opinion, so I'll just kind of read my commentary at face value and hope that you catch what I'm saying here. Herein lies the mystery of free will. God is mighty to save all that come unto him with a genuine broken heart, with a genuine broken and contrite heart that we read about in Psalm 51, verse 7, verse 17. Likewise, Jesus himself stated in no uncertain terms that, quote, no man cometh unto the Father except by me, and quote, that's John 14, 16, as rendered out of the KJV. I go on to say, according to Paul's gospel, the object of saving faith and subsequent genuine and lasting covenant membership into the Israel of God can only be the Son of God, Yeshua the Messiah. Any other supposed, quote, way to God, end quote, or, quote, way to receive the genuine favor and blessings of God, end quote, would ultimately prove to be a lie from the pit of hell, right? The Galatian Gentiles, I say, were seeking the right goal. You guys have to really understand that. They were seeking what was it? The very same goal that the Jews were seeking, which is what? To be accepted as the people of God for the sake of receiving the blessing and favor of God. Right? We read about that, for instance, in Romans chapter 9, uh, the last few verses of Romans 9, where it says that Israel seeking after a law that would offer righteousness um, failed, in seeking, failed in reaching that law, but the Gentiles who were seeking righteousness, attained that very righteousness. Why is it that the Jews failed in reaching that righteousness, but that the Gentiles did uh, uh, succeed? Paul tells us in Romans 9 there that the Gentiles succeeded because they sought it by faith, but that the Jews failed to seek it because they were seeking it according to their own definition of righteousness, which is their ethnicity. So, the, the point I'm trying to make in bring, recalling that passage in Romans is that the goal is, is a righteous goal. It's a good goal. So they're both seeking the right goal. It's not that they're seeking the wrong thing. So it's it's not that they're seeking after some legalism or something like that. They, they, they actually did have their eyes set on a proper goal, but they just had the wrong road uh, that was leading to it. Let's go on to finish my commentary here. The Galatian Gentiles were seeking the right goal, right? The same goal that the Jews were seeking, the blessing and favor of God to be counted as righteous, dikaiosune, dikaios, dikaios, dikaio, all those, that word group that we talked about in the Greek. That's righteousness. Paul is actually chastising the Galatians not for the goal they're pursuing, but for the method in which they hope to secure the goal. Look at my footnote to page uh, to number 146. 
And there's that, uh, I, I talk about that Romans 9, 31 uh, passage, where it says, Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they not, did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, based on works. So the pursuit of this righteousness was not a bad thing in God's eyes. On the contrary, it was the right thing to do. God would have anyone, whether whether Jew or Gentile, he would have man seek after righteousness. This is the right goal to pursue. Paul does not chastise Israel for pursuing a law that would lead to righteousness. Instead, I say in my little footnote to 146, instead, as the rest of the verse states, how they pursued it was the real problem. And if we were to continue on into chapter 10 of Romans, we will see that he chastises them for rejecting the rock of offense in 933 and sought to set up their own Jewish ethnicity, which is the works of Romans 9.32. In fact, Romans 10.3 describes it this way, quote, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, end quote. All right, so that's a very important footnote to, to help us understand the book of Galatians as is seen through the lens of the book of Romans that Paul's going to go on to later write. Okay, so let's go back up into the commentary of Galatians 3. So having that understanding... Having God's favor on your life is a good thing. Wouldn't you agree? Who wouldn't want to claim having God's favor on your life, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're saved or unsaved? If you can confidently state that you've got God's favor on your life, then you're living a life that is lived with the right perspective. And I think that's that, that speaks volumes to actually the um, tr- even the traditional Jewish view of their lifestyle today. If you speak to your average religious Jew, he's not going to describe a life of bondage. At least I don't think he's going to. I worshiped with traditional Jews for two years, Orthodox ones, in fact. That's when I grew my beard long and I actually grew out, grew out my, my, my peos, my, my side curls, as when I was uh, uh, part of that community. And um, they didn't speak of their, their Torah observance and their lifestyle as a life of bondage. They didn't speak of their life as a life of drudgery and... and, and um, um, you know, of living in the dark and, and fear and things like that. They actually spoke in very high regards of, of a Torah based lifestyle and following after the commandments of God. And, and they spoke generally as if they had the favor of God on not only their lifestyle, but their choices and their, their pursuit of God in general. Now we know as Christians that unless the light of Messiah burns within their heart that truly they are in spiritual darkness. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. But what I am trying to say is that on a natural level, there is an advantage to living a lifestyle that is modeled after the Torah of God, that's modeled after the commandments of God, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, if that's the lifestyle that you're leading, then I believe you're actually on the right path and you're walking down the road that will eventually, if you be led by the Spirit, that will eventually uh, dead end at the teacher, capital T, which is the Messiah himself, okay? And it's not done that way. You're not going to reach that goal because you've arrived at that under your own power, Rather, you're going to reach that goal because that's one of the purposes of Torah. It's designed to lead us to Messiah. The, the commandments themselves are designed to lead us down the path of righteousness with the uh, goal of graduating as we place our trust and faith in Messiah. And that's because the grace of God kicks in and opens our eyes. So it's really God's work. It's a monergistic work, to be sure, 
but it's a work that's 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 carried along as we as we walk and 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 meditate on God's word. So, uh, I conclude my commentary tonight by saying this. Paul was trying to get them to understand, right? These Gentiles who were seeking membership into Israel. He was trying to get them to understand that they had heard the message of the gospel correctly. That's why Paul tells them that they had begun under the power of the Spirit, and why were they trying to be perfected by the flesh? They heard the correct gospel because he pre- he preached it, and that they'd begun as a community, as a community under the power of the Ruach Kodesh, under the power of the Holy Spirit. So they started off correctly, but that if they succumbed to the message of the influencers. Right and took on Jewish identity and law keeping at this stage. If they if they took on circumcision, which was legal Jewish identity, if they did that, then in the at, at this stage in the game, and if they did that for the reasons that he suspected that they were taking, right? Meaning Paul suspecting that the um, the Gentile believers or the Gentile community who claimed to be believers, he suspected that they were. Uh, beginning to believe that their I, that their that their righteousness was tied up with their identity, that their righteousness was bound up or 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 linked to their ethnicity, the way that the the, the influence were teaching them. If so, therefore, if they were to undergo circumcision at this point in time, which was a change in legal Jewish debt, a change in their legal eth- ethnic status, if they were to do that, then in Hashem's eyes, according to Paul. It would be tantamount to trying to, quote, reach the goal under their own power, end quote, as we kind of borrow words from uh, chapter 3, verse 3 out of the CJB. And with that, I'll draw my commentary to a close. And I hope that this part of the commentary sets the tone as we navigate through this difficult part of Romans chapter, of uh, Galatians chapter 5. As we're going to find out in the, in the following weeks to come, Paul is going to begin to use these technical terms once again about circumcision, about uh, under the law, about falling from grace. And if we fail to understand the, the, the highly charged socio-religious um, um, background behind the, the, the way this, this part of the letter is written, then we're going to misunderstand Paul into um, thinking that he's, he's really warning all of us, Jew and Gentile alike, away from a lifestyle that resembles Judaism, away from a lifestyle that is, is uh, directed by uh, Torah observance, away from a lifestyle that resembles keeping the commandments of God the way ancient Israel has done of old, and indeed the way ancient Israel keeps doing today, modern Israel today, uh, at least religious Israel, the way they keep the Torah. If we don't keep anchored in the, the proper um, socio-religious hermeneutic uh, uh, way to understand these, these words, then we're going we're gonna to misunderstand the book the same way that traditional Christianity has basically misunderstood, in my opinion, the book for the last 2,000 years or so. And I, I hope that we avoid that misunderstanding. So I want to challenge you as traditional Christians, if you're listening to my commentary, just don't tune me out yet. Don't, don't, don't delete this MP3 file just yet. Uh, stick with me, and I hope that it'll get better. So let's close in prayer, and hopefully we'll pick this up again next week, all right? Father, I bless your name and thank you for this study. I pray that you will open the eyes of our heart. Give us uh, ears to understand. Lord, we know these are difficult words. We know that the concepts that Paul's going to be working through are going to be challenging, to say the least, 
and uh, we're going to be tempted as as traditional uh, Bible students to just um, tune out what this teacher Ariel is saying uh, because it's so contrary and different to what we used to hearing from our average uh, Christian commentary or 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 uh, from the pulpit of what our pastors are teaching. But Lord, I pray uh, as a Bible teacher, as a Torah teacher, that um, your average Bible student at this point in time would be uh, pricked to curiosity and that they would press in just a little further and continue to to consider that there's a different way to understand the book of Galatians, and that is to help us to continue to stay centered on Yeshua, but also to understand that that God would have us to embrace His words and to to um, to model the uh, the Torah the way the Messiah modeled, it, and that is filled by the Spirit, so that we can fulfill the righteous requirements of the Torah. And that doesn't mean to turn away from the words of God, but that means actually to embrace the Torah because it is that which has been written on our heart via the finished work of the Spirit. And so, thank you, Father for these promises because they ring true, because you spoke of them long ago, because you said that you would write the law on our hearts, that you would fill us with your spirit, and that you would cause us to walk into your ways and be a people set apart for you, a light to the world, salt and light, making a difference for Messiah. And it is in his banner that we'll rally around and take a stand, and we'll be careful to give you praise and the glory of Hashem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.